Hello and welcome to Sparks in Action. This is Donna speaking and today's episode is a little unusual. It's a reversal. I have somebody who is interviewing me. The person who is wanting to interview me is Lori Winters. And if you scroll around later on, you can see that she has been a guest on this podcast. She is indeed doing a lot of sparky and actiony things in her life. So I am here to be interviewed, which feels fun and a little awkward, but mostly feels very cool. And I'm just going to actually hand it over to Lori. Hi, Lori. Hi, Donna. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, so um, Donna, as you all know, does this like amazing work and interviews all these wonderful beings of wonder who are doing pretty maverick and deeply needed things in the world that the world is hungry for. And it occurred to me, well, who's interviewing Donna? Like Donna is um, in some ways um, like, like the, the hub or like, like the occipital lobe, you know, where's where all the, all the um, lines of communication meet. <laughs> um, and it's a, uh, it's a it's a piece of community building. Um, it's bringing together visionary voices, and um, she's a visionary voice. And so I was really curious about her process and her maybe the origins of this vision um, and the manifestation of it. So I don't exactly know the exact question, but I think one I'd want to start with is. Um, what inspired you to take this um, creative movement in your life to create this podcast series? Well, before it was a podcast, it was something else. It was a, um, an energy that was germinating in me. And so when I originally started it, the name came to me very clearly. And that was about three, three three and a half years ago, um, because I was thinking about, I've been thinking a lot about how so many, when I say ordinary everyday people, we're all extraordinary and ordinary. In other words, we're all, you know, and I just thought, wow, there's so many people contributing so much to this world and they're not getting a lot of playtime. And I would love to highlight these acts of care and repair that people are performing all the time. Mm. And just, it's kind of like get to know your neighbor. It doesn't have to be a neighbor in the sense of physical proximity, but you know, your fellow human, your fellow citizen. So when I first started Sparks in Action, I created a couple of videos. And the videos were uh, oriented towards highlighting a couple of these kinds of acts that people were taking. One was called Women Who Walk the Talk, and I highlighted two women. One is a woman in my neighborhood who I noticed for years would walk around this beautiful loop with a big trash can and pick up garbage in her own time, no drama, not letting anyone know about it. Another is a dear friend of mine whom I was visiting down in Florida about four or five years ago, and she was she took me on a beach walk and all of a sudden she takes out of her pocket 
a big plastic bag. She says, oh, by the way, I'm going to pick up plastic to protect the sea life and the turtles. And so that was it. It was like, okay, I'm filming you. I'm filming this other woman, Laura. That's going to be a video. And then another video was about different, I won't go into the details because I can direct people towards them, but the next video was about people who were doing great work for the Hudson River Valley. So I interviewed some colleagues that I had worked with at Clearwater, and I also interviewed someone from Scenic Hudson, put that together in a video, um, and called that one, Take Me to the River. That's also on YouTube. And then the third one was, which I know you would resonate with, was my personal response to the sort of bifurcation of religion and science in our culture, or like wonder and science, my belief that the two could coexist. So I interviewed an astronomer at SUNY New Paltz, <laughs> where you teach, um, and I interviewed Rabbi Bill Strongen, who was my rabbi at the time, and had a beautiful conversation. And that one is called um, Stellar Wonder. And so you have things like a rabbi talking about fractals and Big Bang Theory and Kabbalah. And then you have an astronomer speaking very clearly and succinctly about how, in fact, we are made up of elements and what that means scientifically. So anyway, so that's how Sparks in Action began. And then truth be told, the whole idea of creating a lot of videos became cumbersome. I had to have somebody do video editing. And he was a really sweet guy, but it was like too awkward to try to make all this happen. It was taking up too, it wasn't the right forum to continue with. So I let it sit for a while. And then I literally woke up one morning and literally like rolled out of bed, put my feet on the ground and said, oh, Sparks in Action is going to be a podcast. But um, <laughs> that's the very long answer. <clears throat> I, lo I love it. I, 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 I can ask more about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that for a moment and, and really struck by so much of what you said um, and what particularly was more toward the beginning of um, you find the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, and we, we are, when I say we, I guess dominant culture is a culture of um, Broadway and Hollywood and the, the, the fantastic things are like far reaching or they're outside of us or there's a fourth wall or they're, they're separate from who we are, but you bring it to the everyday and to our neighbors and to our community, um, which, which I think we need so much now more than ever. Like we've always needed it, but we need it now more than ever. So very struck by that. Um, I wanted to ask you as you were talking, and this is probably my lens, um, if um, you could, if, if there is a person or persons um, or a teach, teaching in your life growing up that in some way informs this, this work in the world that you're doing now? Oh. You know, uh, I love the question and I find it a really difficult question to pin down because when I think about things like that, I 
think that it's such an amalgam of so many people, so many experiences, um, that it really, it's, it's interesting. I'm always at a loss. It's like when somebody says to me, almost like, what's your favorite book or piece of literature? It's like, I become at a loss because I feel like there's so much that to kind of narrow it down um, feels like, uh, feels a little bit impossible. But I will, I will say that um, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in wonder. I was kind of quite, there was always a part of me that had like a step back and a wide lens, if you will, and felt a little out of step with like what was going on. So I kind of like zoom out a little bit, not in a disassociative way, but more in a way of just like, what is this thing? But you know, you're a kid, you don't really have language for it. And then as I got older and older, I had language for it and began to study psychology and philosophy and then went into the world of therapy. And then, so there was that approaching it in through the mind, but always the heart was always a very loud voice as well. And so I would just say that it comes from many places, but the but Sparks in Action as a project and the naming of it, I do think uh, I have to attribute a piece of it, even though I haven't formally studied Kabbalah, I haven't, I've just read lots of books and have lots of conversation, but I've always resonated very deeply with the idea um, of that each of us having this, this divine spark, you know, I mean, this beautiful, place that we are lit from with a life force and that perhaps one of our tasks while we're here is to keep it lit even though the husks and other layers get in the way so quickly and to help each other stay lit if you will so the the name sparks in action has a direct link to the idea of the divine spark, but it's sort of also very honestly, and I know you can understand this, it's sort of ecumenical in that I feel like it's so universal, um, this whole idea. And so I, it's really just shining our light on each other and um, ref reflecting and refracting that. But really, there's not a one thing. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on about different experiences and how they contributed, but that would be long and meandering. <laughs> <laughs> That's you and I when we take a long walk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything you've said just now is very much part of Jewish wisdom tradition. Mm -hmm. And... Right. And, and, and that's the one I, that's my, that happens to be my path, but uh, it could right. be part of lots of other wisdom traditions. Right. Um, but the, the task part of um, gathering the sparks or seeing the spark or reflecting the spark, um, it's, in it's, in, it's in liturgy. And it also may yeah. be in the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran or, you know, other holy texts, but it's definitely in Torah. So it's just really, I'm always curious, like, did that ethic of care and um, commitment to keeping the light lit, 
there's a there's a there's a phrase esh tamid tuka alamizbeya that we will keep the eternal light lit all the time. The oh, that's altar. beautiful. Yeah. And and us being the altars. I mean, you are such an embodied being. So and in your teaching of yoga nidra and all your work in the world body is very much altar. So um, I really appreciate your your sharing where that comes from in your own experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, growing up, I had no acquaintanceship with Kabbalah. And I don't even think I even really knew what it was until sometime in my 20s. Uh, I mean, I grew up as, you know, Reformed Judaism, and it wasn't just part of the language at all. Maybe I'd like heard the word, you know. Um, and when I just started to read some books, particularly like in my 30s, it resonated so deeply. And um, then concurrently, you know, getting some, I have to be honest and say elemental, under, very elemental understanding of Kabbalah, but experiential, maybe a little deeper, even at a young age. And then at the same time, going deep into yogic studies, they all, to me, it was like informing each other. But the idea of the sparks felt feels so resonant and always has. And the other thing in terms of a very like so down to earth, the thing about sparks in action, it's it's all like so earthy and down to earth. It's like people literally getting their hands dirty, figuratively getting their hands dirty. Like that's what these acts of care and repair are. And yeah, tikkun olam, you know, the, the idea of like we're healing uh, the whole world. All of our little, all of our actions are contributing to this. That also, uh, from my Jewish background, to kun olam, which again I didn't become acquainted with that term until like, you know, my twenties or thirties, uh, also feels very, very resonant. And so that's why, yeah, that's why the. I don't even like to use the term Lori small acts because it diminishes them. So like, I like to think of it as sort of like the Mother Teresa model, like any act with great love has great power. And so that is why I'm less interested in the people who are in the public eye. What they're doing is great. Let them be in the public eye. That's beautiful. But I'm a little much more interested in the people who are not in the big public eye who are living their lives and contributing a lot with great love and great honesty and, and grit. Mm. I have many more curiosities. Um, <laughs> I'm curious about, well, uh, these are a couple questions and go where, you know, what resonates for you or if one of my questions inspires something else in you. Um, so this is not your conventional interview as you can, you can tell. Um, and Lori, would you and I ever have a conventional conversation? <laughs> Listeners, we take long walks and have these amazing conversations. Sometimes they're linear and filled with rigor and logic, and sometimes they're all over. They're always beautiful. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead. 
Well, I one <laughs> one of my questions is: uh, Is there someone in your in your life who is not no longer living on this plane mm. who would have something to say to you in seeing you do this work in the world? That's that's one question. Wow. I don't know if that's too, you know, that I'll, I'll put that, put that over here. Okay. And the other one um, is something around, um, you also give people an opportunity to tell their story. Um, and that also is a rare, I think it's rare in the dominant culture, you know, unless people go like to therapy or counseling or a clergy person. Um, but you really give people a space to tell their story through their work in the world, but they're really telling you the story of who they are mm, through their work mm -hmm. in the world. And um, that's an amazing gift to give to people. And I'm just wondering if you have an awareness of that in, in what you're doing or if you, if you notice how people respond to you holding space for them to tell who they are. And, um, and be out about who they are oh. and feel held and feel honored and valued for who they are and how they move through the world. So those are, those are two questions that sort of were equally coming through me to ask you. Okay. Wow, they're both really cool questions. Um, I'm going to start with the second one because the answer, it feels like I have more readily available, you know, response and I would say that yeah it, it's I love that if people can come on to the podcast and feel that this is a space where they can speak truthfully and honestly and share what they share in a way that isn't performing but just like you know here is what I am and who I am. And this is why I do what I do, which is always the question. Why do you do what you do? Tell me, tell us. Um, that, that is uh, very gratifying to me for many reasons. I mean, I was a therapist, still functioned to some level as a therapist in a little slightly different way. And so I get on so many levels and both professionally, but also personally, the power of speaking honestly, being seen, and being appreciated in a way that's genuine, that's not, you know, fawning and flattering, but really being deeply, being appreciated. Uh, so that, while that isn't the primary purpose, that is something that happens, and I am aware of that, and I am happy that that kind of sacred space, if you will, you know, does, does happen, or at least I, I, I hope, I mean, every interview is a little different. Every interview will continue to be a little different, um, different levels of flow and different levels of connection. But, um, and then the other question is hard for me to answer now. It's funny, all these, I mean, my mother passed away in March and she, in the last couple of years of her life, because she was suffering a lot physically and emotionally, wasn't able to sort of see so clearly. And so the last few years of her life, as it should be, it became about her and her care and just doing, doing right by her and doing what needed to be done. 
So to answer that, I feel, I think it's a wish on my part. Like I kind of wish my mom could sort of pop in and kind of see now that she's out of her sort of haze of suffering and prepping for death and, and all of that. Um, I think it would delight her because my mother in her own quiet, very unassuming way, she also held a lot of wisdom. She was of a different generation and she didn't really have platforms and forms and ways as much, although she did in her work as a nurse, which she was so deeply committed to. But I think, I think she dig this. I think she would really like totally get it and be kind of really thrilled about it. Um, so my response to your question is more like a, more like a wish, like, like, wow, I, I would like, I would like that. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's so also. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right? We don't know. Yeah. I was going to say, I like to think about, you know, my parents have been in dead for some time now, but I, 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 I like to think about how they would feel seeing me and my work in the world. And then mm -hmm. um, your mom, your mom died not that long ago. Um, so, you know, grief has no timeline. And when they decide to visit us has no timeline. <laughs> you know, and I, think I, I think I have dreams, you know, when my parents visit me and they're like, wow. Um, and there's something that feels really good to be held by, by the, by our, by our ancestors. I guess that's part of my question, my earlier question about like, if there are people in your life who have and I know you said like there's so many um, who've informed who you are in the world and the work mm -hmm. that you do in the world mm -hmm. just by how they move through the world not even you know a particular thing yeah mm -hmm. and to add to that I think a lot of people in my present life I mean it's like a constant informing and a constant mutual growth and um, mutual expansion project in so many ways. Um, and I know for me, um, I can say that I'm sort of attracted to that kind of energy. You know, I love that kind of um, energy and friendships and relationship and everything where there's um, this aliveness, this growth, this ability to connect and have really honest, real conversation. And um, so again, back to your original question, that's why I, it's funny, here I am, it's we're what, 20 minutes later, and I can't single out particular people because that feels almost for me right now, almost contrived because there's so many. I'm sure if we talk long enough, I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're just like all kinds of faces are like coming by. It's like runners going to the past, you know, an aid station or, and I just see them and I, I you know, so yeah. 
Well, yeah, and, and maybe even, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking the question might be a little too um, individualistic because you, you're really stepping into this. You used the word mutual a couple of times just now, and I was thinking, oh, what Donna does is a version of mutual aid. Like we think of mutual aid in this time now as like we, we live in this area, Kingston Mutual Aid. It's this, it's this hub where people can go and get, get clothing and they can get food and they can get whatever they need in this time. And there's mutual aid um, communities set up all over the country. Oh. Um, and I was thinking, and yours is like this, this mutual aid of conversation and connection because oh. conversation is the form of food and clothing also. It's like, it's not on Maslow's hierarchy, but it needs to be. <laughs> Belonging and love is there. So, but what, like real engagement, real conversation, real listening to each other and being uh -huh. able to speak our truths. Um, you're, you're providing that for people. Thank you. Thank you. Forum, which is quite magic and, and, I mean, I don't think you, have you ever had anyone say, no, I don't want to be interviewed? Um, I've had, yeah, I've reached out when I first started this. I was like really ballsy and gutsy. And I was like going like to all these big organizations, Doctors Without Borders, because I, I, you know, all the, and, you know, I sort of had like, I had not much to show. I didn't even have the podcast up yet, you know? And uh, so I was getting a lot of rejections or just a lot of like sort of behind the, 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 you know, the micro, you know, message might have been, who the hell are you, you know? But it was like, I, I didn't take A, I didn't take it personally at all. And B, I was like, that's okay, I expected that. And also, it's good for me because I could easily go into the perfectionist mode and not want to, like, put myself out there until, like, all my ducks were lined up. But with this podcast, it's like, I just started it. And it was just, so I was just sort of like, I'm just going to, it's my baby. Like, I could do anything. So I, um, um, and then as, as I began to sort of really think on it and reach out to people, I realized, why am I doing that? I don't need to go to these great organizations that get a lot of attention. That's beautiful. Some of these organizations, I support myself and adore what they do in the world. Like, love it. But going back to what we talked about at the beginning, but oh my God, look, look at all these people who are doing what they do. And that's what excites me. That's where I get energy, you know. And, um, so there's something, there's always been something, Lori, for me. I don't know quite how to say this, but there's always been something about, um, I've always like been really drawn to and attracted to sort of like that under the radar people like, just quietly going about doing what they're doing. That's just, you know, I'm married to someone like that. I mean, and a lot of, again, friends and people I love so dearly do such wonderful things. And they're not about doing it to gain attention. They're doing it because they are driven to do it. Right. And if they get attention by the world, beautiful. They should. That's beautiful. Let them. But, um, yeah. And that, that's, that's who makes up most of the world, too. Or the exactly. everyday people. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I think of that. What's that? Um, 
what's that column in the New York Times that like promotes like everyday actions of like love and kindness? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Anyway, so it's not important. Um, but yeah, you, you give you give space for everyday people to talk about the the everyday experience of being extraordinary and caring. And it's a restoring of like faith in humanity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's a there's a lot right. There's a lot that is yeah, that is going right <laughs> in this world. And, you know, so much of what gets attention in is the drama and and what seems to be, you know, problematic and divisive. And that's all real and that's happening, of course, but there's many, there's much beauty going on. Can we pause? <laughs> yes, we can. Like, I, like what, I've said this and we've talked about it already in here and I guess I just want to like speak it again. I'm really struck by um, the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, yeah. I just want to make like a, a little parallel and maybe that will give way to a particular question. So um, there's a, there's another body, another, there's, there's a body of uh, improvisational storytelling theater called playback theater Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. in the Hudson Valley by yeah. Jonathan Fox and Joe Salas and a, a few other people, wonderful beings um, in 1975. And one of the intentions around it was we don't want to go to see theater about other people's lives. We want to tell the stories about our own lives. Um, and, and I think of your work in that um, uh, genre is not the right word, in that tradition of like, of the, the incredible richness and complexity and generosity of of our everyday lives mm. um, and how we need each other to to know that they are all those things mm. Mm -hmm. and that somehow it lets us like inhabit more of who we are maybe that's yeah. what it is instead of like looking outside of ourselves to feel um, in Hebrew the word is um, savata um, it means satisfied. You say it. You say it for the prayer after meals. I ate and I was satisfied. And I, I think we live in a culture, dominant culture, that teaches us to look outside of ourselves for contentment, satisfaction, joy, happiness. You know all these things. When in fact, it's our interior interiority that informs who we are and how we move through the world. That's just wildly rich and delicious. Right. Um, and I feel like you, you call that forth. Or... Yeah. Um, I love what you just said about it's our rich interiority. It like, I, I think that when we come from that place where we allow ourselves to separate from and get a little distance from all the voices and the lights and the do this, do that, and be known and this and that. And we go into that really honest or, or just 
that place that is, as you say, deeply interior, I think it guides us so beautifully. It's like a clean, clear voice. It's like that voice that it's not even like a big deal. It just informs our, right? Exactly. Like no big deal. That's my mantra these days, right? Doesn't have to be bells and whistles and we don't have to claim it. We don't have to name it. We don't have to like write, you know, like, tomes about it. It's just like it directs our actions. And I know for me, that's my deepest nourishment. Like the piece that I just posted on my blog, Turning In, listeners, you might want to check it out. I'll, I'll put it in the program notes. It, it's about just that. And, and so I think that that part of people where they are at peace with what is as it is, who they are in a given moment without trying to be what they're not or who we're not, just in all our complexity, in all our contradiction, in all our crazy beauty, that is, I think, where the, where the golden nuggets lay, you know, that, and, and I think that is where those, the seeds of the sparks lay. And um, yeah, yeah. Like interior does not mean, and you know this, Lori, but you know, uh, doesn't mean being separate from others. It doesn't mean going to the mountaintop. It doesn't mean, you know, um, it, it doesn't mean sequestering oneself, but it means having the ability to just kind of quiet down and settle deeply and just hear and know um, the sort of truth in action, like what the next steps to take are, they reveal themselves um, in all of that, stepping back and being quiet and checking in. And I think that those, the actions that arise from that or are born from that um, are probably the actions that are most fruitful because they're not happening in this sort of frantic attempt to make something happen. <laughs> yeah. that, I don't know if that made sense. I feel like maybe I rambled a little there, but. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. What it made me think of was you describing yourself as a, a little kid and kind of stepping back to listen to that knowing inside of you. Yes. Like that, was, that was a way, for whatever reason, you knew how to navigate the world. It was always there, even as a little kid. Again, as I said earlier, I couldn't name it. And I, some bullshit detector in me knew even as a little kid when I was acting in ways that I thought were like what people expected of me or would please others. But again, when you're a kid, you can't name this stuff. They're just like energies in you that are float around. You know? But as you get older and you get a little wiser, you've got a little therapy, you know, whatever. Um, it becomes clearer and uh, yeah, but it was always there. So maybe that's the answer to your original question. Like that's why I can't pin it on a few different people. They help birth it. They help bring it out. They help shape it. But it, I definitely came into this world with it. You know, I remember like, I remember being at family functions and being in, with this big family, all these cousins and aunts and uncles and being with everyone and loving the noise and the love and the connection. And then I remember these like zoom out moments where I could like see I, like insights, you know? Uh, so yeah. 
That's the next episode, listeners. <laughs> Zooming out. Well, that, that Wide knowing. angle screen. That knowing. That's a that's a, yeah. That's a connection with whatever you want to call it. Your knowing, your divinity, your intuition. I mean, whatever names we have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank for, you. This was fun. I'm sorry? Thank you for this beautiful conversation. Oh, well, thank you for initiating it and thank you for doing it. This is great. Yeah. Always good to talk to you. All right. So um, until next time, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this way, Lori. Yeah.